I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. Now, with John Carter, fighting the good fight. Welcome back to the Carter Report. I'm Alan DeLeon, and thank you so much for joining us. With me today, we have world-famous evangelist, Pastor John Carter. Thank you so much for joining us at, here at the Carter Report. Greater Manila is more than 20 million souls. Almost all these beautiful people are ignorant of the true gospel of Christ. Manila needs Jesus. 35 years ago, John Carter came to Manila. Pastor Carter is returning to Manila with an urgent assignment. Preach the gospel of Christ and the great truths of the Bible. Don't water down the message. Make it plain, make it clear, make it Christ-centered. The Carter Report needs your help now to light a fire in the Philippines. Your gift will help open the doors of bondage, smash the chains of sin, and open the gates of paradise to thousands of lost souls. The churches have sent out an urgent plea for the Carter Report to return. Help us proclaim the true gospel of Christ to the beautiful Filipino people. Please send your support to the address on the screen, visit our website, or call the Carter Report. Welcome back to the Carter Report. I'm Alan DeLeon, and with me today is world-famous evangelist, Pastor John Carter. Now, you brought up a very interesting point that uh, in the last program that I wanted to make sure that we touched on. Uh, you were mentioning something along the lines of culture wars that we're experiencing in the United States at the moment, and I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on that. The United States of America and other great Western countries like Australia and Canada and Britain have experienced a, a tremendous, a seismic shift in the way people think. This is a part of the culture wars. There's been a, an active warfare against biblical Christianity. And is this a part of a modern sense of thinking that has spread? You could say, Alan, it started with, with Charles Darwin, uh, when Darwin basically taught uh, that man was the product of time plus matter plus chance that everything was simply the, uh, a happen chance event. There was no personal creator God. Then it went into the teachings of Nietzsche and Marx grabbed hold of it because of his belief in the, the great war between capital and labor and in a spread into the old Soviet Union. It destroyed millions, tens of millions of people there. The same basic idea of neo-Darwinism and the teachings of Nietzsche is right here now today in the United States of America and in Australia. And so do you think that this is garnering more influence as the time goes yes, on? Yes, yes, absolutely. It is the major doctrine that is taught in every American university, in the science department, in the uh, departments of philosophy. Uh, ask my son David, who attended Sydney University and uh, who did a course there when he was studying, in philosophy, uh, there's no personal God and there's no meaning to life. And so you've got 
millions, uh, hundreds of millions of people today who do not believe in a personal God and they have no basis for their morality. So there seems to be a pretty sharp line between Christianity and science, but do you think that there is a possibility for them both to have some kind of mix? Oh, absolutely. I believe that God has given us two books. One is the Holy Scriptures. This is His book. I believe this is His inspired Word. I have total confidence in the Bible as the Word of God. We're also told that He's given us another book, and that is the book of nature. Nature, rightly understood and interpreted, is in complete harmony with the Holy Scriptures. Can you give an example of some type of harmony that exists? Well, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, you have the, the most important words, some would say, that have ever been spoken. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible teaches a point of time when everything came into being. A number of years ago, not so many years ago, but scientists started to to think that the universe had a beginning. Scientists had, almost every scientist had believed in the steady state theory, the eternity of matter. Einstein used to believe in the steady state theory, that there had never been a beginning. He said, thinking that there is a beginning to the universe is something that disturbs me a great deal. But then he received the the scientific proof that the universe had a beginning. Well, what proof is that? Uh, Alan, almost every, almost virtually every scientist, I would say virtually every astronomer believes in, the, in Genesis 1-1. Uh, they wouldn't call it Genesis 1-1. They call it the Big Bang. It simply means that there was a point of time when there was nothing, and then there was a very Big Bang, the point of creation, and then there was everything. So you're saying the form of creation that is presented in Genesis 1-1 is connected to or related to the Big Bang. Yeah, absolutely. Now, some people, and this is not their fault, they just haven't studied it, they think that the Big Bang somehow is tied in with evolution. It's the biggest argument against evolution because it shows a, a very finite amount of time. There's not enough time in the universe for everything to start by itself. Mm-hmm. It shows that evolution is, is an absolute, uh, absolute fraud. Um, you see, what they discovered was this. and I, I don't want to go too much into this. They discovered that the universe was expanding. They can prove this. They can see it with the telescopes. We live in the midst of an expanding universe. If it is expanding out like this, it shows that it started somewhere. And it started with a a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing like a seed. And out it went. And it became the universe. This is what a person who doesn't believe in God would would leave it there and he'd say, well, you know, there was a beginning and we don't understand it and it's expanding. But we who are Christians see in this and many scientists see in this the proof of a creator. You see, a beginning demands a beginner. And so here you have a classical illustration where science and the Bible come together in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I teach these things in my lectures. I've taught these things to the KGB, vast crowds of atheists and communists. I've seen 
thousands and thousands of atheists come to Christ because of the discoveries of science in the light of, of the Word of God, the Bible. And I know that you started off not being an evangelist, however, and I'm curious to know mm. what is it exactly well, that you started or where you started beginning uh, this entire journey. In some small way, I have a very small reputation for being an evangelist. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, Alan, I'm a pastor. I've pastored many churches, big churches and little churches. Happy churches, churches that are not quite so happy. <laughs> so I've been a pastor. I do evangelism in my spare time when I have the money to do it. I'm going to Manila only because I expect that I can, by the grace of God and with the help of God's people, to raise the money to run a big campaign in Manila. But I can't run many campaigns because I don't have the money to do it. Mm -hmm. So I am first and foremost a minister and a pastor and uh, a humble follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that you have a team that helps you put all of this together, uh, a team that goes with you on your campaigns. Uh, how do they influence the work that you do as well? Well, if I didn't have a team, nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, here at the Carter Report, we've got a fantastic team, and you're a part of that team. You're a very important part of that team. Thank you. We have a television crew, which we think is, is a super crew. They're just great people. Some of them work in the Hollywood industry and some of them are on the camera seat today. They're just tremendous people. And then we've got a, a department that designs the handbills and we've got a department that sends out newsletters. All of this is done by faith and people send money to make this great work possible. And so I don't have the backing of some big super organization, but I do have the backing of a big super god. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always a pleasure to hear that. Uh, I do also want to know a little bit behind uh, the, the team and going into that a little bit more. I know that your, your wife, Beverly, also plays yes. a big role. Uh, what uh, is it that, that she does in the campaigns as well? Beverly has done a marvelous work. You know, we've been married for well over 50 years. She doesn't want me to tell you exactly how. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> we've been married far longer than you have existed on planet <laughs> Earth, Alan. <laughs> And, and she has a heart for God. She's a super pastor's wife. She's got a great heart for, for the people of God. And she's got a heart for evangelism. It was her idea that we run a campaigns overseas. I, I never got this idea. This was wow. her idea to go into all the world. She said to me, you know, don't you believe the Bible? Yeah, of course I believe it. She said, well, why aren't you running campaigns overseas? Why are you sticking with some local church? Why aren't you going to all the world and preach the gospel? So she challenged you to branch out. She did more than challenge me. <laughs> she, <laughs> she sort of nagged me to do it. But, but no, no, no. What, what she did was, was God-given. But when she's gone with me to places like Russia and Ukraine, she has visited orphanages. Um, and she has raised money for the children in Chernobyl and other places. And so she has done a work which is a superlative work because she believes that God called her to do it. God has anointed her to do this work just as much as he has anointed me. And now with all of this big preparation for the Manila campaign yes. coming up, hmm. um, what are the steps that you're taking to ensure that this goes through? Alan, we have so many challenges. I went to Manila back in January 
And I've met with the church leaders to get them on side, get them enthused. Then I met with all the pastors in Manila to get them enthused. And then we looked for auditoriums because uh, we've got to find the auditoriums. We've got to find everything. Uh, my son David came with me and it was of great help. And then my friend in Australia, the old union president, uh, Pastor Harold Harker, went there to try to help get the hall because getting the hall was extremely difficult. We couldn't get the hall. And when we got a hall, we couldn't get a contract signed. You know, we don't go into these details. Mm -hmm. And then I sent another friend of mine, Dr. John Hammond. So we had been on this work for months trying to get a hall. So you've got to, you've got to negotiate to get the hall. It's terribly hard to get the hall. We, we are mm -hmm. getting the Philippine International uh, Convention Center. It's, it's, one of, it's one of the best halls uh, in the world. So that must cost a lot of money. Yes, it does. It costs tens and tens and tens of thousands. So we know that there's a lot of work behind, uh, behind the scenes that your team does to ensure yes, that these preparations the are set. the team is in set. charge of setting up the, the video walls, and David will be in charge of the videoing. Um, it's like Alan going into battle. People who've come with us on these trips say, we're dumbfounded. They say, we had no idea. So much has to be done. Then we shoot the television commercials that go on television to bring the audience. So this, all, we, mm. this all sounds very expensive. Uh, yes, it is. And just out of curiosity, uh, how do you raise the money well, to actually, pay for actually, all this it's stuff? it's not expensive. If I talk about a campaign, a big campaign, say in India, and it costs a million dollars, I don't think it's expensive. It's all based on what you believe. Do you believe in the Bible? Yes, of course. Do you believe that Jesus was right and we should believe what Jesus said when he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? A lot of people say, oh, we're, we're past that. Well, when people get past that, the church starts to die. And in some parts of the world, the church is dying because the church has given up on the gospel of Christ and aggressive evangelism. Now, a million dollars for me, that's an extraordinary amount of money to raise. It certainly is. And when we produce television programs, and when we go to Manila, we've got to raise every, as they say in Australia, every brass razoo. That means every cent. And people say, why do you do it? I do it because it is taught in the Bible. I believe that Jesus is, com is coming soon. And I believe, pardon my saying this, I believe we're living in the days of Matthew 25, when all the church has fallen asleep, it says they all fell asleep. And so do you believe that by going out on these, uh, these campaigns, yes. you, are you trying to shake the church awake in um, some way? No, I believe that it's up to God to wake up the church. But I believe it is my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel to go and preach Christ and the great prophecies. And we go for one great purpose, to win souls to Christ. So after so many years of experience, I'm yes. talking 50 plus years of experience uh -huh. doing evangelism, uh, what is a message that you believe rings true or that is consistent throughout all your years of ministry? Um, in the human heart, there's a tremendous need because people are, are not, they're not saved automatically. People have got this crazy idea, which is so unbiblical, that if people are sitting in darkness, they're automatically saved. If that were true, then we shouldn't tell them because let 
let's just keep them in darkness because while they're in darkness, they say, this is not taught in the Bible. This is a terrible aberration from the truth. The Bible teaches that people are lost without Christ. There's no other name under heaven whereby people must be saved. There's no other name except Jesus. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Now, how are people going to get past that, Alan? John chapter 3, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Unless a person is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So we go to preach the red blood of Jesus. We go to preach the gospel of Christ and to call people to come to Christ. And in the human heart, there is this desperate need. The leader of the KGB in Russia said to me, he said, General Vladimir, he said to me, please, he said, don't forget us. He said, we have a reputation, but don't forget us. And he put his hand over his heart. He said, we too, we too have a need. He said, we too are empty inside. And so people outside of Christ in their quiet moments recognize that they are empty inside. And we go and we preach the prophecies of the Bible. We teach the truths of the Bible and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. And we have seen in our meetings, by the grace of God, hundreds of thousands of souls come to Christ. Hundreds of thousands of souls come to Christ. Atheists, uh, Hindus, Muslims, people say, no, 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 no. Uh, when we came back from India and we told the people, they told us in Australia, no, that's not true. Told the people, a lot of people in America, no, that's not true. That's because they don't understand the power of God. And I know that India must have been uh, a unique experience and yeah. especially a difficult location yeah, to, to put a ministry down. What was the experience there in, in India and what is the work that you're currently Before doing? Before we started the meetings in India, we hired a big outdoor arena like a cricket stadium where people play cricket. That's the game of the, you know, the English and other people, the Australians, New Zealanders. We started with a small crowd. They said to me, no one's going to come. Many of the people, the locals said, hey, no one's going to come. <laughs> well, that certainly doesn't look like no one. <laughs> and we started with 10,000, but soon we had 25,000. Then we had 30,000. Then we had 40,000. Glory be to God, we lasted the longest in a big public evangelistic campaign than any organization in the history of India. That's a tremendous Now, in the end, uh, we had tremendous opposition, but when I was preaching there to these tremendous crowds of Christians, Hindus, and Muslims, we had a second Pentecost. Incredible. We saw the Spirit of God come down upon people. Now, I've told people this and they just look at me like owls, you know. And they've never seen it. Well, I've seen it. I've seen the power of God. That is why I encourage people from America and Australia to come with us, come with us to Manila and see something that you're not going to see here in America and you're not going to see in Australia and you're not going to see in Europe. You're going to see the mighty work of the power of God. You'll see people who are murderers and robbers converted. I remember one night here in India when we had the altar call. i I, I never, never seen anything like it. I mean... 10,000, 20,000 people coming forward, raising their hands, praying to God, Muslims, Hindus, Christians, giving their lives to Christ. So I believe in this, and this is what Jesus told us to do. I want a methodology which is based upon good 
Bible theology. I do this because the Bible teaches it. I am constrained by the Word of God. I wish that more would do it, and I wish that people would catch the vision because Christ is coming soon and Judgment Day is coming upon the world. And now as you press forward and you're getting ready to, uh, to tackle this campaign in, the, in Manila, yes. um, what message would you want to send out to those who may be watching the program uh, to get a better sense of the overall goal for this campaign? Oh, very simple. I would say to my friends, believe in the God who believes in you. Believe. Believe in the Scriptures. Don't just say, I believe the Scriptures. Believe the Scriptures in reality. Trust the Scriptures. Believe Acts where it says, there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Believe in Revelation 14, uh, where it talks about the three angels flying in the midst of heaven. I was talking to a young pastor, Alan, some time back, and he said, why do you do this work? I turned to Revelation 14, the everlasting gospel flying in the midst of heaven. I said to him, what does that mean? He said, what do you mean? I said, what does it mean? They're flying in the midst of heaven. What does it mean? He said, he said I have no idea. I said, it is a public worldwide proclamation. It is big. It is noisy. It says they're crying with a loud voice. That's what it says. It repeats it over and over again. Crying with a loud voice. Flying in the midst of heaven. Now some people try to keep the angels down on the ground. They try to keep them down with the turnips and with the uh, kangaroos <laughs> and everything else. They try to keep them down. But in the scriptures, the angels are flying in the midst of heaven. Let me tell everybody this, Alan. If we don't do it, God's going to get somebody else to do it. So what if somebody's watching and they feel like they want to contribute, they want to help, hmm. but they're unsure how to do that? What would you uh, recommend for well, them to do? We're not here primarily to, to talk about money, but let's talk about it. Uh, I would say there are some things that people can do. They can come with us. People say, oh, it may be dangerous. Hey, don't you believe in God? It's going to get me out of my rut. Yes, it will get you out of your rut. It'll light a fire in your soul. And when you get back to your own little church, it'll light a fire in your church. And most of our churches need a fire lit because in many churches, they're so cold. The fire's gone out. We talk about the frozen chosen. Mm -hmm. We know what we're talking about, don't we? The frozen chosen, the chosen frozen. <laughs> now listen, people can come with us. They what can else? come with us. What else Number can they two, do? They can give money. Now, they can give for the preaching of the gospel. Not for me. It doesn't help me. It'll save souls. It'll save, in the Philippines, it'll save drug lords. People are like, you serious? Yeah, absolutely. It'll save murderers. Last time I went there, I baptized a bunch of murderers, assassins actually baptized them with my dear friend, Dr. Graham Bradford. Put people under, put these people under the water. As I went under the water, I said, why are you here on death row? Because I'm a murderer, sir. So we, we say to people, give to save souls and to change the status quo. Now, as you were saying you want to try and adjust or change the status quo in, in Manila, 
um, and, and also, I'd like to see it changed in the Western world, like America and Australia, where for the church it seems to be business as normal and please don't wake me up, thank you very much. So do you think that the impact from a campaign, say in Manila, mm. can translate to impact churches here in America? Yes, yes. If people come, if pastors come, they'll come back with a fire in their bellies. They will get in touch with God. They'll get away from the pseudo-sophistication of our secular sad society and they will see the glory of God. Uh, this was Beverly's idea. It was a great idea. When I was the pastor of the great Warunga Church in Australia, we had lots of problems with young people, worldliness, bad theology, everything else. She said, we're not going to help them here because they're in such a rut. They're in such a worldly environment. Let's take them to another place. We took them overseas. Where did you take them? We took them to Manila. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm coming back after so many, many years. I say to people, get involved in something bigger than yourself. Most of us are living very small, little narrow lives. We need to expand our horizons, but most importantly, we need to feel the mantle of the power of God fall upon us. I've taken hundreds of people from America and Australia and young people into Africa and Russia and Ukraine and India and uh, the Caribbean and other places, and they have been greatly benefited spiritually, and they have gone back to their churches and they have set a, a fire under those churches. That's one reason I do it. What's the last reason, say, the final takeaway that you want our audience to know as to why you do what you do? Well, Alan, I can't say much more than what I've said. I do it because I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I do it because Jesus did it. Jesus came preaching. John the Baptist came preaching. Uh, then we go on into the writings of the Apostle Paul. I love his theology. I love his book of Romans and most people who have any knowledge at all love this stuff. But Paul was not the typical pastor. He was an itinerant evangelist. People never tell you that. So I do it because it's taught in the Bible. And then I come to the, uh, the great reformation, the great preachers. Then I come to my favorite preacher, John Wesley. And I come down to great preachers in our own time and in our own age who have preached the gospel of Christ out of doors in the rain. I've preached in the rain plenty of times. And we go for this great purpose, to win souls to Christ so they will be saved in the kingdom of God. Glory be to God. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today, Pastor Carter. Thank you so much for joining us as well at The Carter Report. I'm Alan DeLeon. Thank you so much. This is The Carter Report. The Word began in a village. Churches and schools sprang up and multiplied, reaching into the city. Great truths revealed to the people of Papua New Guinea, changing thousands of lives. 
our eyes are going to be opened to the discovery of amazing truths. The greatest truth in the Bible, it is the truth that God loves you. It has completely changed my life and I'm going to be baptized this Sabbath. Pastor Kata has put something in my heart that I will never forget. Thank you, Pastor Kata, for your program. It has changed my life completely. John Carter's Great Truths Revealed was recorded live from Papua New Guinea. Experience the miracles in this 21 DVD series for a gift of $150 US or $210 Australian. To order, visit our website or call. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.